because you can do things like when people sit too far away, you can whack them over the head with it. That's not recommended. Actually, this, came, this stick came with instructions. And the instructions said, don't use it as a sword. And they said, don't use it. Yeah. Oh, well, you think it's going to happen to you? It's a tickle button. Okay. It's not going to be for that either. But it, actually, it didn't say that. But I thought it was a good idea nonetheless. You know. um, but I want to talk about just briefly um, so that you could remember. You remember Moses, right? And they, they, in the Bible, he talks, they talk about him having a staff, right? This is what that is, okay? He had a, a staff. Now, his might have had a crook in it, but I don't think so, okay? Because he used it for, mainly for walking in the wilderness, for fighting off bad animals and things like that to protect his sheep. But then, he, as he led the people out of Israel, out of Egypt, remember, he did all those miracles. He, he did things like touched the water of the river and it turned to blood and and he, he raised it to the sky and, and hail came out that was like fire and all kinds of miracles. He'd, he'd, also, he'd also pointed it at the Nile again and frogs came out. Remember all those things? Um, bugs came, he, he swirled it in the sky, at least that's the way the movies portray it, and, uh, and, the, and the bugs, the, the gnats came flying all over everything. Remember all those things? And then that great miracle that God did. Remember, he took the staff and he touched the Red Sea, and the waters parted, and the people walked through. Remember that one? Now today, I'm going to be talking to these folks after you guys go back to your children's church, and I'm going to be talking to them about something else that Moses did with that staff. Not long after that, oh, there were some other things he did. Right after that, they were thirsty. Remember that? They were thirsty, and Moses took the stone. You know something, what? Absolutely. He struck the rock. What? Because God told him to do that, by the way. And the water came out. And then, after all those things happened, they're walking through the wilderness, and a war happens. Somebody starts to fight them, the Amalekites. And because of that war, Moses went up to the top of a hill and he raised the staff. And as he raised the staff, the Israelites won. When he got tired, set it down, they lost. Hmm. Can you hold this up? Oh, oh, oh. oh you can hold it up? No, I'm going to make him. I should make you do it, yeah. Okay, hold it up in the air. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Okay, so while... While Moses was holding that up high, it, it, really, it really helped. The, for some reason, they were fighting the battle, and as they fought the battle, as long as he held it up high, it, it, as Moses held it up high, they were winning. They were winning the battle. They were defeating those Amalekites. Is it hard to hold up? You get tired? Not at all. Is it heavy? It really isn't, is it? I keep looking at that stick. Why does it not weigh much? But... Um, Anyway, so as they held it up, they, they, they won the battle. But it, it got to the point, because they were really tired, and Moses was over 80 years old. He was kind of an old man. And he began to get weak, and this is what happened. Okay, go down, down. Got to wiggle, got to be shaky. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's called careful now. And then, uh, 
and he, and he went down, and the Amalekites started to win. Just because a stick went down? And so they said, oh, Moses, hold it up, hold it up. And so, up, 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 yeah. And so he held it up, and they won again. But he couldn't do it very long. He got weak, and so he went down. It's like, oh, no, it's really hard, really hard. Yeah? Is that heavy? You getting tired of going up and down? No, okay. Let me have my stick. Oh, you want to try it? Okay, each of you. Wait a minute. Go each of you. You want to try it? Okay, don't poke anybody in the eye with it. I will be in big trouble. Okay? So as you hold that up, the, the battle's being won. Then let it down. Uh-oh, the battle's being lost. Right? It's okay. Try it. Let her, let her try it. You got to have it. Is that heavy? Isn't that really surprising? Don't mind. It's, it's really heavy. You just don't realize these kids are strong. And uh, so it's, oh, see, that's really good. Does that get tiring holding it like that? No, you're a genius. Um, so as, as this, this happens, what is happening? Is the stick magic? No, it's not magic. There's no special stout power in the staff. There was no special power. However, it symbolized something. Let's let him hold it for a little bit, okay? Because, I mean, after all, Mark needs to have a chance. All right? Hold it up there. Don't let it down. Be strong. And so as, as, as the stick was up, it wasn't because of the, the, the power in the stick. The power was in God and God and acknowledging God's presence. What was really happening is they were praying, Moses was praying, and the others with him were praying that, that God would bring a victory. Now, eventually, somebody had to help him. Can you guys help him? He's really having trouble. Can you go around the other side and help? Somebody help him. He's having a hard time. Uh-oh. It's not working. Ah, there we go. Now we got some help. All right, good job. So now that you're all holding it, it gets really awkward because one's pulling and one's pushing. But let me, uh, here, I'll have my stick back now. All right, let's pray and ask God to help us to remember that he has the power to, to, um, to win the battles that we face or the difficulties we face. I, I, well, I thought of something else, but I'm not going to say it. I thought of it earlier, but let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for uh, these young people and just thank you for their, their ability to know the stories uh, the, of, of, your, of truth that come from your word. And I pray, Father, that they'll learn definitely how to, to walk in uh, your power and uh, in your strength to, to get, go through their day and uh, to know you more and to live your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, all the children, not just you, but you guys can go back with... Uh, um, Dana, thank you. Stark, it's coming to me. <laughs> and follow out the back for Children's Church. You don't know how hard it was to find a staff that I needed for today. Today was very important because I wanted to, wanted to use this. Now, you may think that's kind of, it's sometimes kind of a silly thing to use a little stick and talk about stories like that. Come on now. Um, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted us to see something. I don't know if you guys are that way, but uh, I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy, don't you? And, uh, and there's not, I, I love the book and, uh, and, I, and enjoyed reading the books uh, of the Lord of the Rings and, and all of that, but, but the movies are fun, aren't they? The movie is just fun, you know, and you, you can't forget the scene of, of Gandalf on that mountain, you know, I mean, on that bridge in the, in the cave, remember? And it's like, like I, 
I want to be there, sort of. Kind of glad I wasn't. But, but, you know, and he goes, he takes that staff and he goes, you shall not pass. You know, and you're like, oh, isn't that wonderful? And, uh, and so we always believe, you know, somehow there, that staff that he's holding has some power. Or does it? Why did Tolkien write those words? I sometimes like to think, because he was, after all, somebody who claimed some following of Christ, that he was doing that in order to tell a story and to create an image that people would read and enjoy. And I'm not advocating Tolkien or not advocating Tolkien. Don't get me wrong. Uh, There are just some things that are fun about that. Moses, walking in the wilderness, bringing people to, to a new victory. I want to invite you to turn to, uh, to uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, and I'm, I just really uh, find this passage to be... Now, how am I going to keep my staff? And, by the way, when I was a pastor in the first church I planted, I was a solo pastor, alone, and I had one of those somebody gave me. It sat in my office, and they said, Tim, you finally have a staff. So my wife gets that. Um, so... Uh, Exodus chapter 17. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 17. Beginning with verse 8. Then Amalek, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did, as Moses told him, and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I may utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. I'm sorry, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner, and said, The Lord has sworn. The Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now, if that word's up there, it is not, that last verse is not translated the way I just read it, is it? Okay, don't panic. That's right. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll get there. Um, I have just a, a, little, a little adjustment in the translation or interpretive translation. Now, the follower of Christ, have you ever noticed that the follower of Christ has this tendency to kind of get into trouble? You know, trouble, if it, it's over, it seems like it's always over the next hill, around the next bend. We run into trouble. Things go, don't go the way we plan. And if it doesn't come to us, we go, go to it. Or we even create trouble. That's what I like to do. And, uh, and, but we need some source of gain, uh, to gain a victory or to gain a, 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 a win out of our life situations. And it's not always easy. It doesn't always seem to make sense to us. That's what I think we can find in this passage today. 
I think we can find some, some powerful symbols that will bring us, some sacred symbols even, that will bring us to, a, to some real-life victory. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but let's pray together as we, as we begin. Father, I do come before you. Thank you for your word that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the truth that are there. Father, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to apply these words to our lives and, uh, and just to recognize you in all your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I think these, these, here's, some, here's my favorite thing. Verse 8. Now, look at verse 8. He comes down here, and it seems a little bit understated. And then he says, And uh, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Now, at first you say, Okay, fine, that happens to Israel. But this is the first time. This is the first time they, fought, they, they faced a war. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But Amalek came and fought, yes. But when we look at Deuteronomy 25, Moses reveals that this isn't just an, a little... A, a tie, a tie. He reveals the kind of the... the um, uh, sorry to say, the, i got to get the right word, the devious way that he went about this. Uh, the, Amalek came, and what they were actually doing is Israel's about a million strong. Kind of keep that in mind. There's a lot of people, and they're all wandering through the wilderness. Not wandering, they're going toward the promised land. And as they're going through the wilderness, Amalek comes behind to the stragglers, those who were weary and tired, the weak, the, the, uh, those who, who weren't the, probably the, you know, a lot of children, little children, those kind of things. And they came and attacked in that setting. And they were, they were, they were uh, uh, doing what they were good at, basically. Um, they, they were hitting those who were weak and weary. While the majority of Israel's way that down the road. They've already gotten to, they're, they're, they've gotten way down and they've gotten to a place, apparently, of rest. And word comes to Moses and says, oh, wait a minute, there's something going on over there. The Amalekites probably had, by the way, several hundred years in the region. This was not strange territory for them. They've been living there all the while, while Israel's been, uh, um, been kind of thoroughly immersed in Egypt. They have become their slaves in Egypt, while the Amalekites are just kind of reigning free in the wilderness, in the desert areas outside of Israel and in Egypt. And... Um, they're, they're a nomadic people, and as nomadic people, they, they practice the warlike art of raiding uh, small towns and small, and, and small groups of travelers. Therefore, they grew wealthy and mighty militarily, and so they were strong. These, these, were, these Amalekites, they knew what they were doing, but they were more than just strong. They were kind of tricky. And they, they found ways to sneak in and get what they wanted. They found ways to profit off of other people's work. I don't know anybody who does that, um, but, but, uh, but there are people that they're finding other people did the work for them, and they showed up and gained the benefits. Um, now, now, we might think that picking off the stragglers was simply more of the same strategy, that is, gaining some additional spoil while at the same time weakening the Israelite threat. But we really know better than that. That's not really what was happening. What was happening is, is uh, and God kind of revealed this to us, and uh, it says, because... Well, let me step, take a step back. The Amalekites, by the way, you've got to understand who they are. I mean, these, these people, do they really matter to your life? I mean, how many of you know an Amalekite? So they really matter? Nobody knows an Amalekite. I didn't think so because they're gone. They were wiped out. 
There are no more Amalekites. However, we've got to understand who they were. Uh, they were descendants of Esau. How many of you know who Esau is? Yeah, I see some. I just want to make sure you're awake out there. Okay? It is a beautiful day outside. We'll be out there in a moment. Um, but they're descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. God promised, by the way, Esau. You always talk about the promises that Jacob got, right? But John, God promised Esau that he was going to have a, a, a land, and the land of Seir was his land. And God remained true to that promise and made sure that Israel remained true to that promise so that when Israel was coming into the promised land, God said, don't touch them. Buy whatever you need to buy from them. Buy food, buy water, buy supplies. But do not touch them. Do not touch their land or hurt them or in any way. And Israel respected that. In fact, when they said, hey, we want to go through, and, and they, Amalekites said no, the Edomites said no, and, and they, they skirted it. They said, even, even though they offered, said, we're not going to touch anything. We just want to buy from you some water on the way. He also promised that Esau would serve his younger brother, Jacob. That was not such a well-received. Esau really wasn't, wasn't happy about that, was he? He didn't, like, he didn't like that. It didn't set well with Amalek later on. Neither one wanted to serve them. Amalek wants to wipe them out. And while God remained true to his promise to Esau, instructing the Israelites to leave Edom untouched, Amalek did not reciprocate with similar kindness. Amalek instead goes after him, and he's going to attack them. In fact, God interprets this act not as opposition to Israel, but as opposition to him. God says, they're against me. They have come against me. Particularly, they've come against my choice of you, Israel, as my people. This is where it starts to become relevant to you and I, at least the way we see things. I don't mean it's not relevant anyway. But this is the way it starts becoming relevant to you and I. As you begin to take on the name of Christ, or the name of God, we now fall into the same category as God's people, as God's chosen people. Now, that's kind of a weird place to be because there are people who are just like the Amalekites who don't like God's people. They really don't like God because they don't like the decisions and the choices that God has made. They don't like the requirements that God puts on His people and, in essence, on any person. And so, um, I don't know why I'm catching this wrong, but we'll worry about that. But for some reason, it seems <laughs> that even though we have, you know, we have protection. You know, how many times does Jesus say to us, he's, God is going to protect you. He's going to watch out for you. He's taking care of you. And we've been promised a protection from God, right? But why is it that it always seems like... Um, like God's being called God's people puts a nice red target on our forehead. I said the other night to, um, to a small group, I, I teach the uh, Bible to us, I, I mentioned Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you know what Fiddler on the Roof is? I, just, I mean, I'm sorry, it's a raise hand days. I don't know why. I just need, I need, like, maybe it's exercise. You guys are not getting enough exercise these days. I'm going to get it for you. You know, well, Tevye. In my, in, my, in my Bible study, by the way, nobody knew, except for my wife. Nobody knew who, what, what, who Tevye was or what the fiddler on the roof uh, was about or anything. But you remember Tevye. You know, Tevye is a Jew, 
and he stands there, and he, he starts to talk. He spends a lot of time talking to God. You know, you've got to like the guy. I just, you know, he's just such a nice guy. And he just kind of, he says, he says, God, I know we're your chosen people. But sometimes, could it be that you would just choose someone else? You know, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but sometimes it does feel that way, that, that being God's chosen people doesn't actually free you up. It seems to bring a lot of attention to bear on you. You're like a magnet to trouble. And, um, and that's the way that, that, <laughs> that Tebya was feeling, and that apparently is going to be the way the Israelites are going to feel for many years into the future. Um, so we're surprised that, I, why, I don't know why we're surprised, but we're surprised that as our country, our country, elevates the idea of tolerance to, ultimate, to, to being the ultimate law, that uh, uh, Christian values and therefore genuine followers of Christ are less tolerated. You ever feel that way? Maybe? Maybe not. I feel that way a lot. Moses took the staff and two leaders up a hill, nearby hill to oversee the battle. Now, if you've been reading Exodus with us, you remember that God led the Israelites through the wilderness um, rather than the easier route along the Mediterranean. Why? Do you remember? This is what he said. I'm going to take you through the wilderness. I'm going to take you by the way of the Red Sea lest, that's a good Bible way of wording it, lest they see war and turn back. Right? Because they're not ready for war. So what is this? What is this? It looks like war to me, and they're not very far out. Only a short time. Now, into the wilderness, after manna, after the water from the rock, after God's hand delivered them miraculously from the Egyptians through multiple plagues without them having to lift a finger against the enemy, now they are facing war. They are ill-equipped for war. Few are trained. Very few had weapons. Moses had less than a day to devise a strategy. One day later, he has to go against the Amalekites. He gets word he gets, they stop, they make a plan. And it, it seems like, like uh, they called everything to a halt, and while the rest caught up, the leaders threw together a plan. You know, have you ever been that way? I've been there. You know, oh my goodness, we've got trouble, and it's trouble today. And, uh, and we're just like, oh, I don't know how to begin with this. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to, how to solve the problem. But here's the plan. I want you to hear this plan. One, Moses told Joshua, Choose some men to fight. Okay? Prong one. Prong two. By the way, I think that how he chose the men to fight, he looked and he said, you have a sword? You have a sword? You have a sword? Okay. <laughs> You're chosen. And then there were a few. You know the guys? I, I never was one of these guys. I was one of these guys who got into trouble but didn't like being in trouble, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I would, I would pick at somebody, and then they would decide they wanted to fight me, you know, this is my real childhood years, I'm just a confession, and then I'd run the other way, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you pick long enough, and it's like, I mean, I did get into a couple of fights, and they never went well for me, um, never went well, uh, it, it, that's why I quit that particular activity, but you know the guys, you know the other kind of guys, the guys that pick the fights because they will win, See, I was just too stupid. I, you know, I could have picked a fight with somebody I could win with, you know, but I didn't. I picked one with whoever was a troublemaker. And these guys would 
be scrappers. Well, that's what I think he kind of picked those people. He, went, he picked the scrappers who just really were bored and they needed something to do, and he picked the guys with swords. But there weren't very many. These were not trained men of war. And, uh, but, but this prong number two is Moses and his staff, along with Aaron and Hur, went up the hill. That's the strategy. Not much time for a strategy, is it? One day, you get it all together, and, uh, and you got a million people, you got to pick some people out of there. It's probably a small group, relatively small group, that had those equipment. Now, the battle was to be fought on two fronts. Man versus man. And man to God. So you had the two prongs of the war. They're going to, man to man, the, the, war, the battle's going to go against man, right? That's where they're needing to win. They need to win a victory. But the, the real battle is actually being fought up on top of the hill. Jesus understood this, did he not? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gets by the, the rock. There's an awesome Russian painting of, a, of, a, of, a, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane by the rock praying. And I, I just love the painting. But, uh, but it's just, it gets the feeling. It gets, it, it's a great piece of artwork. You should see it sometime. But in that, in that, in that work, you can just see the, the, the burden and the care and the sweat that Jesus, remember he sweat as it were great drops of blood. I don't know if it was literally blood or if it would just looked like blood. But whatever it was, that's what, we, what he was doing. It was intense time of prayer. Moses is going up to the top of the hill, and he's entering into the very same thing. He's entering into an intense time of prayer. Now, sometimes these symbols that we see, these sacred symbols like this stick, become they're, they're a good thing, are they not? The symbol gives us an understanding of who... Of, uh, that it's God. Remember, what, here's what's happening is he's showing the Israelites, he's showing the army that what's taking place is God's doing. They all recognize the staff as being the thing that, that pr pr produced results, that brought the fruit, that brought them through. Particularly, they remember the going through the Red Sea. Nobody missed that one. You know, they might have missed the frogs. They might have missed the, uh, even the Nile River, but they did, not miss, they did not miss going through the, the Red Sea. And that being held high allowed Moses to point to what God was doing. Again, the other times were different. On the man-to-God front, we see this 80-something Moses interceding on behalf of the Israelites in battle. Those engaged in battle were able to see that Moses and his staff. I'm confident of that. There was no, no problem for them to see this up on top of the hill. And he could see them. And most commentators agree that what's going on here is prayer. This is a big prayer meeting on top of the hill. Now, Moses, you know, we don't read the prayer, but we sense that God is intervening in this, in this time, and Moses needs to be focused, and he's having a hard time. And, and those who saw the staff would be quite aware of those works that God had done, the miraculous works. And that would remind them of, that, of God's supernatural intervention on their behalf. War is not something they want to be a part of. I don't, I don't want to be a part of war. Yeah, I want to picket people, but I don't want to be a part of war. I don't want to be going to a battle. Uh, but they need his intervention right now. Now, in this passage, the nature of God's involvement is not clear. Have you seen that? 
When you read this, you say, so which was it? Was it the staff? Was it Moses? Was it the skill of the warriors? Were they looking up there and just being encouraged and fighting harder? Were they, look, were they gaining something supernatural? I think yes. That's what I, I think yes. I don't think the staff was doing something. I think, I think that yes. They, God was using these warriors. The warriors were encouraged by the staff, and there was multiple things happening, much like it is in your life. Have you seen God work in your life? Have you seen him bring a victory where you never thought there would be a victory? What happened? You turned to God. You needed supernatural intervention, but how many times it requires you to take some steps or somebody else to take some steps on your behalf to bring about the win? This is what's going on in my understanding of this passage. God is intervening. They're taking action and joining him in his work. I, 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 prayer is so important. Um, you know, you see Aaron and her, they're intervening, they're assisting Moses as he holds it aloft. I, it's kind of like prayer meeting. I don't know about you, but I've, my prayer meetings that have been generally small, you know, and all, no matter how large the church. I've been part of fairly large churches before, and we go to prayer meeting, and it is a fraction of the people. Why? Why? Well, two reasons. Prayer is kind of boring. Did I say that? Did I say that out loud? Prayer is kind of boring. Well, you come to hear my preaching, so it can't be too bad. Um, and prayer is hard work. It's actually engaging God for something. And we are so self-aware, so human-oriented that we feel like we have to do it ourselves. Um, but I thought... This is happening when what God does, he does bring people together. Where two or three are gathered together, he says, there I am in their midst, right? And so God tends to say, come together for prayer. Now, I don't know about you, I pray every day in the mornings, particularly in my quiet time with God, where in my time get alone with God. Um, I've got to be careful, my devotional time, whatever you call it, doesn't matter what you call it. But, but when I get together with God, I pray alone with God, and I spend much time in prayer. But... God seems to really want his people together, teaming up to pray. And God, in this case, and this is, I, this is more illustrative than it is literal translation here, but God is taking three men who are interceding on behalf of the people of Israel, and he's about to perform a miracle, a different kind of miracle, though, one just of normal military victory, or what seems to be normal military victory. I like what Keelan Dalich wrote on this. They're just some ancient commentators, um, not around anymore. But this is what they said. They said, from this, Israel was to learn the lesson that in all its conflicts with the ungodly powers of the world, strength for victory could only be procured through the incessant lifting up of its hands in prayer. The common prayer position for the Israelites was this. Actually, more like this. Seeking God's favor, seeking God's intervention, opening the hands and letting God enter, enter them directly, enter into activity with them. And this is what's taking place. Yes, prayer is hard work, but together we find strength for intensity in prayer. When I pray alone, I'm probably saying too much about my own problems. I, 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 uh, I fall asleep a lot of times. You ever do that? Is that embarrassing or what? I mean, you know, praying, and all of a sudden you're like, 
how long was that? You know, and, uh, and you just don't know what in the world you prayed and where you trailed off, and you're wondering if God heard anything. And, you know, um, but why else would Jesus tell us to pray, agree together in prayer? In John, John, I mean, John, in John, 1 John 5, he says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so when I believe God for something, he's going to do it. This is where I get the victory. Who is the one who overcomes the world? He says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We cannot gain our victories. We cannot win in these situations. And uh, I've tried and tried and tried to find something about the cultural wars in the the U.S. And you you hear this cultural warfare thing. And I decided I just didn't like any of it, so I didn't use that. But we do feel sometimes we're at war with our own culture, with our own people, uh, because of our values so, so differ, differ so often. But not too many years ago, much of the church focused on victorious living. Those of you who are older probably remember that. Ah, oh, victorious living, we're going to live victoriously. You know, unfortunately, much of this focus was, was for personal gain. It had little to do with God's activity and purpose. And just as the story in Exodus here centers on Moses and the staff of God overcoming the issues of our day will only happen as God's people learn to intercede for one another. As we learn to intercede for one another in complete dependence on Him. We must allow Him, by the way, to determine the mode of His involvement or of engagement with the situation. We are so often ready to take it into our own hands, are we not? We want to go to the polling booths, right? Or we want to go out and protest, or we want to go out and accomplish something. Folks, I've done it all. This close to being arrested for it. That is with the officer's boots on my hands. All because I'm trying to win a battle through an activity rather than through God intervening. I realized at that point, by the way, as I was involved in, in that, that, that the only way that that was, uh, well, way back, pro-life kind of thing. Um, I realized at that point that my problem was not that we couldn't close a clinic. We did. <laughs> the clinic closed because of that particular protest. But it opened again down the way a month or two later what I realized was that's not going to stop anything. People are going to continue to engage in sinful behavior as long as they are walking in the world. Why do I change? Why do, why do, I ask this question, why is it that we think that it's strange that people who don't know God act like people who are lost? Why is that so strange? They're just acting like they're supposed to act. What's strange is that those who follow Christ also sometimes act that way. That's more strange. But what we really need to recognize, I'm not going to win the battle as long as they're following their way. They're following their God. They're following their truth. That's what they're doing. And I can do my best to intervene, or I can come in and I can t- look to God and say, you know who the, what they need? They need Jesus. That's what they need. They need Jesus. And God will change their hearts. God will intervene. I don't have to. I don't have to be the one that steps in the way. What I need to be is the one who steps there with a beautiful gift and offers them something. Well, that was all free. That's not in there. I just, I just thought I would think about that out loud with you. Um,
Now, for the Israelites, what I found was interesting in this passage is how God shifted his way of doing things. He started out by doing everything for them, remember? Everything. You know, all the plagues God did, Israel did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Red Sea, no problem. God did it. All I have to do is walk through. A little more activity, on, by the way, on the part of the Israelites. They actually had to walk through. Um, I don't know about you, I would have been a little bit nervous looking at the sides and seeing the fish, you know, like above me. Um, that might have been a little bit bothersome, but they walked through. And, and so th th then he continues to provide water from the rock, manna from heaven. This is different, isn't it? God is now saying, fight, go to war. Well, wait a minute. You fought all the other, you defeated the Egyptians. Why do I have to pull out my sword? By the way, both required trust. The second one requires, the latter required greater personal risk and, incre and increased faith. If I have it to go face a guy with a sword in his hand, trained, by the way, skilled with that sword, I'm a little bit more nervous about that. That still, though, requires trust, but it's more than trust, it's risk. Personal risk. In both cases, they could see the staff, by the way, and God, uh, the, the staff of God, and he knew, they knew that he was the ultimate champion. I've seen this pattern work out with Christians. Have you ever noticed new Christians? Now, some of you guys are new Christians, but you know, have you ever noticed how new Christians are? I had a friend back in Buffalo. He, um, he, in the first church that I started and, and pastored, they, he came to Christ, and it irritated me. You ever, ever have something irritate you like that? You know, it irritated me that, um, I finally figured out what's going on here. Kill me. There we are. I got it. It's my problem. It was twisted. Um, anyway, if you ever, it was just irritating because this new Christian, every time he prayed, he would say, Pastor, I prayed for such and such. And 10 minutes later, it happened. You know, or pastor, I prayed for such and such. I prayed for a job and I got it the next day. And pastor, I prayed for this and it happened. I prayed for this healing. It happened. I prayed for this and it happened. I'm like, God, you never do that for me. <clears throat> you ever feel that way? You know, and, uh, and, and then as time progressed, I watched this young man and God worked on him. And then time went on. And he says, you know, pastor, I prayed, but it didn't happen for another six months. Pastor, I prayed. It didn't happen for another year. And I told him, I said, you know, this is what I've observed. Same as in, true in the God's word. God is very gracious to a new follower. And he helps them along so that he, they, they can see the reality of God. But eventually, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so, moving into that realm of faith, God developed. He laid the foundation for faith, but as we walk along, it becomes more faith and less sight. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the building of the relationship with God. The Israelites are doing this. They're going through that, that, those steps. They're not, they're not all the way there yet. They're still needing the staff of God. Eventually, Moses no longer is holding that stick up in the air. And they're needing to trust God. Eventually, the manna stops. Eventually, the water is no longer gushing out of the rock because it's struck. Or stricken? What's the right word? Eventually, they walk by faith and not by sight.
Okay, so I thought I figured it out, and I still don't. Well, I just want to mention one last thing here in this passage. Verse 15 and 16, or 14 through 16, you notice that God gives some instructions. He says, write down a memorial. Write it down. Write in your book. Write in your book. What are you going to write in your book? Write about the, that this is what's going to happen. I am going to wipe out all of the Amalekites forever. They're to be done away with. Now, to me, that seems very odd, doesn't it to you? When I read it, I find it interesting. It says, I'm going to wipe out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Nobody's going to remember them anymore. So write it down. So a written memorial, read memory. About wiping out the memory, read no memorial. Right? Of Amalek. Obviously, the name of the Amaleks will be known, but they will not. There will be no one to care about who they were since there will be no descendants. You've heard about Amalek. I asked you for a show of hands. Nobody knew anybody who was an Amalekite. None of you did. Why? Because God wiped them out. Now, verse 16 lets us know it's a long-term project. In fact, the fulfillment doesn't come until King David wipes them out during his reign. So that's a long way down the road before this actually takes place. In fact, today I was reading... Uh, in 1 Samuel, and I saw, once again, the Amalekites causing trouble. They made the raid on David's camp at Ziklag. Remember that? You know, and there, and once again, there they are, the Amalekites. Why didn't they take care of them before? Saul was supposed to, by the way. He just blew it um, and left a few alive. Moses built an altar to commemorate the occasion. This is in addition to the book. Um, the purpose for this was worship. first one was memory. To, to kind of get, make, make sure we, we remember to wipe out the Amalekites because they were not a part of the original promised land. And the second is, 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 is now the, this, this special one, which is to design for worship, this uh, altar. And he named it Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi, and that is the Lord our banner or the Lord is our signal pole. Most likely, more like, they didn't use banners back then in terms of like the little you know, cloth thing. The Lord is our signal pole. The, the one giving guidance in the battle would raise up the pole and, and to, for people to gather to him there for instructions for the battle. Perhaps there's some of that going on as Moses is raising his, his staff in, in the air. Look to God. Look to God. He will give you instructions for the battle. This word, by the way, is used in Isaiah 11 to refer to the coming Messiah. The Lord, our banner, will come. Our signal pole. And at that time, he says, he will gather all his people to himself as the warrior is gathered to the signal pole for further instructions. Our guide, by the way, through the battles of life, whether overt or covert, is still the Lord. He is infallible. He never makes a mistake. He is never thrown off by evil or temporal suffering. You know, we always say, oh, gosh, I'm in pain. Must be something wrong. No, 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 not at all. You know, it just, he's not thrown off by that. He faced, by the way, ultimate suffering and left us a clear rallying point. We have a new symbol, the cross. We go to the cross as our rallying point, not because we make it so pretty. It was not pretty. It was a suffering point. 
but we have a place to go to rally to in our trials or in the questions that are thrown at us. When the world seems to be winning, we can still rally to the cross because that cross is a clear answer. This passage, by the way, is full of symbols, not symbolism, starting with the staff and Moses on the hill and ending with a memorial book in the altar. Symbols, by the way, are not objects of worship. We don't worship the cross. We don't worship the church building. We worship in the church building. We worship outside of the church building. Symbols are not objects of worship. They're not charms to bring good luck. However, they are reminders and faith builders. The Israelites built their faith, having seen God act through the staff. The Christian has their faith built as they see Jesus operating on the cross. The Christian, when he walks to the symbol of the Lord's Supper, is, has their faith built as they remember the, the body and the blood that was shed for them. But these are all symbols. We have many symbols. They point us to the God who acted in the past and who is faithful to act in our present circumstances as we prayerfully turn to him for help. Let me encourage you today to be people of faith, people who walk after him, who seek after him, who look to the symbols and are reminded in times of prayer, in times of difficulty, that you know what? This isn't the first time somebody struggled. This isn't the first time somebody has not been able to follow through. This isn't the first time that somebody maybe failed in the process. If you recall, they weren't always victorious. The, the, the stick came down and they were losing. Guys, some of you are facing some of the toughest battles that you'll ever face right now. Some of you are facing things and you're saying, oh, man, I failed before, I can't do it again. Let me tell you something. The only one who can, who can do it is Jesus. The only one who can take you to that point is Jesus. Go to him in prayer. Bring people around you in prayer. Make it a, make it a matter of seeking him. Trust him. Have faith in him. As you, as you did for your salvation, do for every part of your life. Trust him. He will take you there. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we ask if as we continue in worship that we would uh, continue in a prayerful heart, prayerful attitude. Lord, help us be willing to go to our neighbor, to our friend, to the, someone else, a fellow follower, and ask for prayer, ask for agreement in prayer over the battle we're facing, over the crisis we're facing. Oh, not so that our life will be easier, but so that our life will be glorifying to you. Lord, we just lay these things before you in the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name.